We are on Sunday mornings. If we've been working verse by verse uh, through this letter, we're hoping you have a Bible. You're going to make your way there. If you don't and you're here in the sanctuary, there's Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you, page number on the screen. Grab that, get there. If you want to use an electronic device and a Bible app in that, do that. One way or another, have the scriptures open before you. If you're joining us in the overflow online, please hear the same invitation. We want you to be with us in the Word of God. We want God to speak to you through His Word, so we're inviting you to have a copy of the Scriptures. Have it open as we dive into 2 John, working verse by verse through it, and actually this morning, completing our study in 2 John. Yeah, it's a short letter. We've been in it for a few weeks, and we're completing that this, this week. We'll go into 3 John next week. Just for a quick FYI, someone's going to get to this, and after the service, they're going to say, but Jim, there's still two verses left in the, in the, in the chapter. Um, we actually already did them. Uh, we did it at the first week in our study. We did verses 1, and then we did the last two verses in 12 and, and 13, then because it kind of just thematically worked well together. So yes, we did cover it all, but we're completing it uh, this morning. Well, with that as a name, let's ask God for help. I'm going to lead in prayer. I'm hoping you would pray as well, asking that God would help us to hear what he has us to hear from his word. Father, right here, right now, Lord, you are a God who is good and faithful. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that you have given us everything necessary, you tell us, for life and godliness that's found in Christ. You have given us here. Lord, we need it. We need what you say to us. We need to hear it. I pray you'd help us to hear it. Give us ears to hear this morning so that we're able to, to understand what you're saying, apply it, and work it good in our life. Lord, you're the only one that can do that. Thank you for just the work, the promise of your spirit to be our helper. Lord, yes, please. Now, give us ears to hear, ability. We trust you with this and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what is the lie? Yeah, the lie? Well, that's actually how it's referred to it in the book of Second uh, Thessalonians, where it simply says they believe the lie, not a lie. The lie. It says, yeah, they're going to believe the lie. Who's the they? Well, backing up a couple verses, he gives it to us this way. He says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The lawless one, well, you may know him, as the Bible also describes him, as the Antichrist, the man who's coming on the scene, who's going to lead the world astray in the last days. He who we believe is coming probably soon as we are in these last days. And he says that coming is just the way Satan works. It is going to be with power and signs and lying wonders. Going to just do things that will lie to people, lead them astray. And he goes on to say, with all unrighteous deception. Among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So here's this group of people, and they're, they're, they're dying. They're going to perish. They're going to be those who reject the truth, and God is going to give them over, and they're going to believe, he goes on to say, the lie. Hey, scary moment, scary just prophetic word that it's soon to be perfectly fulfilled, but it still has application today, and that's what we want to just at least begin thinking about. So what is it? What's the lie? Well, that actually is exactly what John writes about here in the letter of 2 John, where he communicates into this uh, a description and a space that would be speaking into that very reality. Hey, before we go there, quick backdrop. 2 John's an interesting letter. It is a letter that is written very ambiguously. It's written, if you want to just kind of look, go back and notice it, just begins with saying the elder to the elect lady and her children in verse 1. And one of the things that we've talked about is it's entirely possible that this was written to a single individual um, just never naming any names or locations, but it is much more likely. 
And again, we talked about this in one of our first studies on this, that this book was actually written in the midst of a, of a persecution that had descended on the early church. Very common, actually, even in the pages of Scripture. It's very possible that 2 John is a letter written so ambiguously that it would have passed through uh, Roman, you know, kind of centuries and censors who would have been looking for, you know, names and locations. And it's written almost as if it was writing to a person, but better understood, we can really believe that it was probably written to a church, a church in the midst of persecution. Now, that seems timely. Yeah, today is the International Day of, of the Persecuted Church. We prayed for that just a few moments ago. And if this is correct, then this letter is a letter written to just such a group of people. Now, that's an interesting thing. If you were to sit down and be um, tasked with writing a letter to the, say, 400,000 believers that are in North Korea right now, I wonder what you would write about. And I wonder what things would find, you know, cause for you to say, hey, make sure in the midst of what you're going through that this is something you know. Well, it's interesting to see what John points out. Let's go and look at it. Pick it up in verse 7. Let's read the section we're going to cover this morning. For, he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver, a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things that we have worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and he does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Well, we need to understand what this is saying, but it is again worth noting if we are correct in our understanding that this, church, this letter is written in the midst of persecution, it addresses something that maybe we would not even thought about addressing. Yeah, it addresses false teaching. It addresses false teaching that would lead them astray. In fact, go back and look at just the first two words in verse 7, or verse 3 says, for many deceivers. Yeah, that's where we need to begin. Many deceivers who are rejecting Christ. And as I think about that reality, it's one of the things that I personally find one of my least fun things, if I can say it that way, that I get to speak about, that it's many. That there are many who name the name of Christ, who say they are or, or speak in the midst of this, and yet they're leading astray. Can I just again be honest with you? Not my favorite subject matter. And I could wish it wasn't so. I could wish that everything was just black and white. Like, okay, if you, if, you, if you say Jesus, it's good, and if you don't, it's not. Black and white, I mean, every, I mean, but it's not that way. Satan is a mastermind, and he has so navigated so that there is a group within this kind of realm of kind of religion and Christianity that leads people astray, and he just begins it with a word that I just do not like. There's a lot of them. Many. There are many deceivers who've gone out into the world. Peter would say the same thing. He says, but as there were also false prophets among the people in the Old Testament, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. Wow. This is a promise. It's going to be that way. There will be false teachers among you, and they will bring in destructive heresies that will lead people astray. This lets us know that this is something that's not a, well, you know, you know some people have to deal with this, you know, like they, other spaces, or this is what, you know, Bible colleges or theologians need to deal with. No, he says it's going to happen among you, in the midst of you. And if I can say it this way, this is something that every one of you, has to deal with. There's not anybody here in this room that's like, man, I'm so glad I don't ever have to deal with this. I'm so glad this doesn't ever touch my life. That's not true. It does touch your life. It does touch your life. There are many who have gone out and are deceivers. Wow. So what's the, the key issue? What's here that the focus of it? Well, John just gives it to us very clearly. Notice it there in verse 7. For Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Pause there. Yeah, this is the issue. 
These are those who do not confess Jesus. This is a group of people who you know, are going out into the world, and yet they don't rightly confess who Jesus is. They don't recognize him. The idea of confessing him is recognizing him as the Christ, him as God, who's come into the world as flesh to die on the cross for our sins. They don't recognize that Jesus is everything, that our sufficiency of our salvation, of everything is found in Christ, in who he is, yes, this itself is the key issue. Yeah. Guys, this is the thing that he's making a focus on. This is the thing that divides. This is that which is that, and he wants to make sure you get it. So he says, when people do that, when they don't confess Jesus, he says that there at the end of verse 7, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. This is the ones who lead astray. Deceive. Uh, you, you understand deception, right? That means to lie to you in order to lead you astray, to, to get you to believe something that's not true. Yeah, this is a deceiver. It's actually an antichrist, an antichrist. Some of you know we've covered this in times past. Antichrist doesn't mean opposite of Jesus. It's not just like enemy of Jesus. The word anti in the Greek language has the idea of instead of or taking the place of. Or, you know, removing that focus on who Christ is, which is exactly what the Bible tells us is coming. In fact, you guys might remember, we talked about this back in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. He says, you guys know this, he's coming, the, the, the man of sin, the man who's going to lead the entire world into error. He's the Antichrist. He has not yet come on the scene for us. He is still coming in the future. I don't believe we're going to see him as the church because I believe in the rapture we're going to be out of here, but it's still coming on our world. Now, we could look there and go, well, that's great. That's, that's future, or maybe it's not there. He says, but if you can understand this, today there are many Antichrists. There are many that are still operating in that same framework of what this man is going to do, that doing what it told us there in Thessalonians. In fact, let me go back to it. There in 2 Thessalonians, we read a moment ago, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Yeah, he's going to do things to lead people astray. They're going to be lies. They're going to be things that are telling untrue things. And he goes on to say, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. They didn't receive that. They didn't get that. So God gives them over so that they believe the lie. So I asked you a question a moment ago. Let's answer it. What's the lie? What's, what's the lie? Not a lie. What's the lie? Well, to say it in a simple way, the lie is that it's not Jesus. The lie is that anything else but Jesus. The lie is the lie of the Antichrist that says, hey, it's, it's something else. It's, it's not Jesus. It's not who he is. He's not the focus. He's not the, the reality. The lie is to do anything that would seek to step in and take that place of Jesus. So John writes this letter, and he's warning them of that reality, that it's a reality that they need to deal with. And let's just pause again and say, so do we. So do we. It was a promise that this would be something that, that would happen, and it does happen. Now, maybe you're familiar with this or you've thought this through, but let's just kind of process for a moment. So you're gathered into this church here this morning. There are churches all across our community. Many of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet we have things that we talk about or differ on. Most of the things that Christians differ on are secondary issues, things that are not the most important things. They're not things that separate us from Christ. We, we, we debate about how the end times are going to play out, or maybe over God's sovereignty, or maybe over the understandings of, of, of how things work. There's a lot of things that divide Christians, but they're secondary issues. But the thing that holds us together is Christ. That if, we're all, if we are Christians, it is that, that, that Christ is our salvation. He is our everything. So that which is outside uh, the realm of that are those who deny that. Now, oftentimes within a kind of a framework of understanding, we would say that's the difference between a church and a cult. The difference between a church and a cult is those who no longer believe in Jesus. And so we have it here in our community. We think about things like the Jehovah's Witnesses, 
or uh, the Mormon church, the church of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, if you don't know, let me tell you, explain it very, very clearly that they don't believe in Jesus. What's taught there in those churches is teaching a Jesus that isn't biblical. They teach a Jesus that's human, uh, that, his, that his death isn't everything, that he isn't the whole reason for that, and, and those, that becomes a false doctrine. Now, much, much we could say about that, but it's a tragic reality because they will say the name of Jesus. They'll speak of hope, but it's not found there. Now, if that's all we had to deal with this morning, if all we had to do with is say, okay, those are cults, this is church, hey, make sure you get that, that plane, that would be serious, but it's not sufficient, because that's not just what John is saying. He's telling us, and what Peter is telling us, is it's not just dealing with um, things out there, but dealing with things inside the body of Christ, inside those who are being accepted. Now, sometimes those are, but sometimes it's just these other things, and he's letting us know that this is a far more fundamental reality, that there's a, a way of understanding that we need to recognize that there's a very direct attack, and there's a very direct deception, that its aim is very centrally and singly on Christ. Now, as you think about that, he comes back to say it another way. Let's go down to verse 9 and just notice how he gives it to us this way. He says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Said very, very simply, it really is all about Jesus. Hey, if you have Jesus, you have God. If you don't have Jesus, you do not have God. That's as simply as he gives it to us. He says, so here is this thing. As we think about this deception that's coming, he says, if they don't hold to who Christ is, they don't hold to this true doctrine of who Christ is, he says, you do not have God. You reject who Jesus is. You reject what he is. You have no access. You are not saved. But if you have Jesus, if you hold fast to who he is, if you know who he is, he says you have him and you are his. Jesus said it so singularly, right? I mean, some of you guys know it, even thinking about it right now. There in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It just couldn't be more clear than this, guys. Jesus doesn't use it as a, you know, hey, I am a way or a truth or a way to life. He says, I'm it. I am the only way. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And if that wasn't clear enough, though it is, he says, here's the deal. Nobody gets to God any other way. If somebody's on another road, if they're on another path thinking that's going to get them to heaven and they're not coming through me, Jesus says, it doesn't work. This is the only way. This is the only way in. It's Jesus. It is all about who he is, about recognizing him, about finding him to be indeed our absolute everything. That there is a sense of understanding that what we are is singularly focused on him. That our goal is to understand it's all about Christ, it's his death, it's his work, that our life is hid in Christ, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that our abiding in Christ is the only way we have life. It is Jesus, it is Jesus. Now that's really, really clear. I don't know how it could be, you know, make it any more clear than that. And again, it would be really easy if we could just say, okay, so anybody out there that doesn't believe that, they're not in. But again, the point that John is bringing is where it affects here. I found myself thinking about this, and a few weeks ago, Robert Lee was sharing for me when I was on vacation, did a great message on Hezekiah and restoring worship. Some of you are here for that. Again, just good, good one to kind of catch, even if you didn't go back and get it. In the midst of it, though, he began to talk about um, a survey uh, that was done by Ligonier Ministries that did a survey of theology across our land that they do every year, kind of just kind of gauging where the church is in many ways. And it was a fascinating and troubling sur survey. When it speaks about morality in the church and those things are troubling, but there are more key issues that it brought out that found me deeply, deeply troubled. 
So in the midst of the survey, uh, they did a survey among, of evangelicals. Now, evangelicals, according to the definition of the survey given by LifeWay Research, are people who attend a church that strongly agrees with these four statements, that they're a part of a church who not loosely but very strongly agrees with these four things. Number one, that the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe, that it's the scriptures above everything else. Number two, that it's very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus as their Savior. Like, people have to get saved. Number three, that Jesus' death, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And number four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So in a very simple way, that's evangelical. That is what a church is that is that there are churches that don't hold to that, they're not evangelical. But churches that do, that say, yes, it's the Bible. People need to get saved. Jesus is the only way. And, and, and we need to trust him for eternal salvation. So churches that believe that are this. So people who responded to that, and that's what they're a part of, like they go, like that's what they go to, they began to list a series of, of, of questions. Again, morality was incredibly troubling in the midst of it, but I just want to focus on the key issues. Because in the midst of that, they did a survey and they asked the question. And they put it out there and say, you know, how do you feel? Is Jesus Christ, was he a great teacher, but he was not God? And, and, and people got to give their response to the statement. In 2022, 43% of those who go to evangelical churches said, that's true. That's true. Now, I don't, I don't know how to terrify. I mean, this is incredibly scary. What's even more scary is it's much worse in the last two years. So two years ago, it was 30%. That's bad. <laughs> that's terrible. It's gotten 13% worse in the last two years. Uh, that there's this decline that people who sit in a church just like this one, See, this church is evangelical. We believe that. We believe the scriptures. We believe people need to get saved. We believe Jesus is the only way. I mean, we believe that he died on the cross. I mean, that's us. And people who sit in a church just like this, 43% of them that responded said, well, you know, I don't really think that Jesus is that. I just think he's a nice guy. Uh, you know, I think he's a good teacher. I think he taught good things. I mean, he taught, you know, nice, you know, moral and being kind to one another, be loving. But I don't know if I really believe all of that, even though the church they attend says they do. Wow. Add to that, it went on to say that, you know, those who would at the same moment say God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Like, as long as you're trying kind of deal, will God accept you? In 2022, 56%, over half of those who are going to evangelical churches said, yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, I think, I just think as long as you're, you know, you know, as long as you worship a God, like, you know, I mean, he's, at least we all have the same God kind of deal, over half, and once more, it's kind of gone up and down in the last few years, which they kind of show at 48, 51, but in the last two years, it went from 42% to 56 that's a, that's a big growth in error. That's a massive kind of moving away from truth, and that's a scary space in the world in which we live. So I give you all of that because here's what I'm wanting to make sure I say. The, the danger is I could say these things here this morning and say, isn't it so good that you're a part of a church that doesn't, you know, we believe Jesus is everything. We believe he's God come in the flesh, died on the cross, that his you know, death pays the entire price for our sin, we do. But just because you're here doesn't mean you believe it. I hope that the statistics have not reality in this room, but I would be lying to myself if I thought it didn't have some bearing. If I, if I wouldn't think that some of you sitting here this morning would go, well, you know, you're a pastor, Jim. You're supposed to say that stuff. You know, it's kind of like a pastorly thing. You're supposed to like Jesus because that's what pastors say. But, you know, I don't, like all of us really believe that. I mean, as long as we're trying, as long as, you know, I mean, I have these Muslim friends and I have Jewish friends and I have, you know, you people who are Mormons. And as long as we're all, I mean, I kind of think, and, you know, Jesus, he's cool, you know, but I don't know if I really believe. I mean, I'm just telling you, those are the scary spaces. And what John is saying is if you're not holding to Christ... If it's not him, it doesn't matter what church you're in. It doesn't matter that you're there. If you're not holding to him, then, then you're not his. 
Again, he just gives it to us so clearly. Again, just reading it for sake, just in verse 9. Whoever transgresses, that is, goes beyond, you know, goes beyond what has been given to us and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. You do not have God. Whoever abides in the doctrine of Christ, you have both God the Father and the Son. If you're here this morning and you're not holding fast to Christ and you don't believe that God you know, that Jesus is God, come in the flesh, died on the cross for our sin. If you're one that believes, hey, you know, all roads lead to God or people who are good, and, and you're thinking you're going to get in, you are not. If you don't have Christ, you do not get to get that. There is no life for you. But if you have Christ, if you have Christ, if you've hold fast to him, he says, you have both God the Father and the Son. I mean, this is radically and wonderfully yours, but it's so important because right here, there is a place of examining our own lives and saying, okay, is that me? Am I in? I mean, do I have that? Now, I say that, and I want to back up and try to say this in a little bit different way. God, give me strength to make it this really, really plain because if I don't say it well, it's going to go badly. If, it, if I just leave it here, it could go badly. If you hear me wrongly, you will think that getting into heaven is being able to answer a test question rightly. Like somehow you're going to die and you're going to stand before, you know, whoever it is standing at the pearly gates and they're going to ask you like, hey, what's the password? And, and you're going to say, Jesus. Or, or maybe you need to make sure, okay, Jim, so you're needed to, I need to say Jesus was God dying. If I say that, is that the key to get in? No, I mean, it's not that, that's just not, this isn't a password. This isn't just a right answer. Christianity is a life that's found in Christ. And here's what I just want to try to say. If you really do have a relationship with Jesus, then you're going to know him rightly, eventually. I mean, you're going to grow. I mean, the thing is this, if you spend time with me, a bunch of time, you're going to get to know me. And if you know Jesus, you're going to get to know him. And one of the radical things about what it is to be a Christian is that that grows. We can understand it this way, that you could really mark the growth of, of a Christian's life by, where they, by, by just their, their love for Jesus. You know, that the whole goal of the Christian life is, is he continues to become more. I just want to tell it to you this way. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the incredible things is your, your understanding of Christ is constantly growing. It's like as if every day or every year that goes by, it's like, okay, he's better. <laughs> he's better. I mean, I knew he was great before, but the more I see that my life is hidden in Christ, that I'm abiding in Christ, that I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that my hope is in Christ and my life is in Christ. And you begin to find out he's our great high priest and he's, he's the full expression of God and he is everything. The whole goal of the Christian life is it's like we just find Jesus to be more beautiful and more wonderful and more glorious. And, and he just, it, you know, part of it is that, that we are in this process where that, as we discover Christ, it's as if we're growing him. I think about the songs we sang this morning, and I was like, man, I wish I could go back and say all those words to you again right now, where we said, you know, Jesus, he's this one. He says, hey, wherever you are, come and draw from me. That it's Jesus, that it's Jesus, that it's all him. I mean, there is a sense of just saying that we would believe that. And part of our growth in Christ is that we are all, we're just growing in that. It's not like we have a perfect understanding of that right now, but we're growing in him. I think about it this way. One of the series of books that we used to read with our kids when they were small and love it, still enjoy the series of C.S. Lewis's books uh, that did the Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you guys have read them, if not great books to read. They're kind of an allegorical, uh, you know, story, but really is a picture of Christianity. I mean, that's he very intentionally trying to portray uh, just the, the wonders of, the, uh, of Christ and the wonders of that in powerful ways. And so in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, you know, he gives us this picture of these four kids. They get translated, you know, get, get to go into Narnia, and there they meet Aslan, which is a representation of Jesus in the story. One of the children Lucy just, you know, she's so just attracted, she just loves him. I mean, just wants to be there and, 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 and finds him to be beautiful and, and, and just presses after that. It's this great relationship that she has with Aslan and it grows in a neat way. Well, fast forward two books later in, in the book Prince Caspian, she gets to come back to Narnia and she meets Aslan again. If you've read the books, you know the story. She's having this conversation with him and she's like, Aslan, you've grown. Like, like you're bigger. And he's like, nope. 
I haven't. She's like, no, 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 you are. You're like bigger than you were before. I said, no, I didn't grow. You did. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't be more than I am. But the more you grow, the more you appreciate, the more you understand, the more you see. And, and I just want to tell you that is true in Christ. That is incredibly true in Christ so that if we know Jesus, we're in this place that you could almost mark the Christian life by finding us saying, we love him and we love him more. And we're amazed at Jesus and we find him to be life. That's what we need. And if I could say it to you this way, that's the doctrine of Christ, that he is our everything. And we're growing in that. If you're growing in that, I want to just speak life and encouragement to you. But if you can grab that, then understand this, then the deception is to minimize Christ. The deception is an antichrist deception that would say, well, you know, Jesus is nice and all. He's good, but, but here's this. The lie that would move us away from that is, is that Christ becomes smaller. And if you're on that road, if you're on a road that you're like, yeah, you know, that you're, you know, I, you know Jesus is cool. You know, he's nice, kind of good guy. I think he's a great example, but I don't know if I'm really into all that. I used to kind of be that way, but I'm not as much. Then you're in a scary, scary place. If Jesus is becoming less, I mean, if you're one of those ones, and it's a scary thing. It happens at the Jehovah's Witnesses. It happens at the Mormons, where they kind of give, uh, you know, a head knowledge to Jesus, and they're like kind of acknowledge, but then pretty soon he is no longer the focus. In fact, it's an interesting thing to note that the moment that you make Jesus no longer the focus, and it happens in cults, and it happens in other places, it becomes about you. It becomes about your works comes about earning and, and earning hit your favor, and it's true within the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's true in Mormonism. It's even true in those who kind of move towards Catholicism, because Catholicism, though it holds to the truth of Christ, it quickly turns away to other things, and pretty soon it's about your works, and it's about you earning, and it's about, uh, you know, a million Hail Marys, or whatever it is earning your, and I'm just telling you, these things become scary, because if it moves you away from Christ, if it moves you away from him, it becomes desperately dangerous. And just sitting in this room doesn't exempt you from that danger. So hear my voice. I mean, if I can just plead with you. I just want you to know Jesus. You know, I want to tell you, he is your everything. He is, he is our life. He is our savior. He's our hope. He is what you desperately need. Your life can only be found there. And if that is not you this morning, then this is what you need. You need Jesus. And just being here doesn't exempt you from that. And so John is able to speak into that. He's able to warn that. And it certainly is an incredibly great warning that we would look and say, hey, there's deception that would move people away from Christ. And as simple as we can get it, move away from Jesus, you lose everything. Hold fast to Christ. Press into Jesus. Know him better. That would be true for your own soul. And again, maybe nothing could be more important than that right here, that you would know and, and be his and press towards Christ. But if you are his and you know him, that doesn't exempt you from the dangers that are still yet present in this. Let's keep reading. Go back and, and notice what he said in verse 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things for which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. He says, here's the thing. I want you to look to yourself. I want you to examine yourself, not just that you would be his, because we just covered that. I mean, got to make sure you're his, but even if you're his, don't lose your reward. Don't lose your reward. Your reward, yeah, interestingly thing, and it's interesting to note as John talks about this, it's not just your reward, it's our reward. Go back and notice it, how he says it. It says in verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Yeah, John is not just concerned for them, but John's a little bit concerned for his own. He says, I don't want to lose my reward. Now, that might sound selfish, but it's not. When you ultimately understand what it is, the reward is standing before Jesus and, and, and getting to see and hear and, and know well done. And for John, his reward was getting to see them before Jesus. Paul would say the same thing. Maybe it would be helpful to see it in other spaces. In Thessalonians, Paul says, for what is our hope? Our, our joy, our crown of rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. 
He says, what's our crown? What's going to make us so excited? When Jesus comes back, and if you're standing before him and received by him, that's all I want. That's all I want. I want you to be there. You know, if you're not there, then what's the point of what I'm doing, John says. And I've poured out my labor. I've tried to share Christ with you. I've told you so many things. But if you're not, if you don't believe it and you're not standing before Jesus, it's as if I've wasted it. I've wasted my time because I want to see you there. Paul would go on. He'd say the same thing in Galatians. I'm afraid for you, he says, lest I've labored in vain, like I've tried so hard, and if you turn away from Jesus, how that would just be empty. He says, I am my little children whom I labor and birth again, because I want to see Christ formed in you. I want to find you just centered in Jesus, finding him to be your everything. He would say it in Philippians this way, you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, or labored in vain. So it's just a, a way that Paul is saying and John is saying, you know, I'm, I'm saying this because if you don't believe, if you turn away from Christ, what, what, then all of my, there, nothing I did really matters. Not because I, you know, as if somehow that's going to be like, well, that's a bummer. It's like, I, well, I, that's what I wanted. I want to see you before Jesus. And as much as I can kind of step towards that probably with lesser heart than they have, I will still say the same. So what's, what's the point of, of me getting up here on a Sunday morning, Sunday after Sunday, or Wednesday after Wednesday? Is it, you know, for anything else? Is it worldly acclaim? Is it recognition? Is it, you know, some kind of merit? Says, no, here's the whole thing. I want you to be before Jesus. And if you're standing before Jesus, I'll be like, yes, that's what I wanted. Like, that's it. I mean, that's the whole deal. I want to see you on that day. But not just in Jesus' presence but getting your reward. I want you to stand before Jesus and have Jesus tell you, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's our reward. Our reward is his pleasure and us representing him, that we would stand before him and our life would have mattered. Our life would have carried hope into that. And and when we stand before Jesus, not only are we getting into heaven, but we get that place of, of our life, like you did, like, wow, like that's a, well done. Paul would, you know, as you think about this and you think about kind of how that works, that's what he's longing for. That's what Paul was longing for. That's what I'm longing for. And it's what you should long for. So let's turn it around to that. So if you're a follower of Jesus, like you really do love Jesus, like you've believed on him, you know that God sent his son, died on the cross. He is your hope, your sufficiency, your life. You're growing in him. Hey, good confidence that you're his. If that's true, then as we think about what that looks like, sorry, let me back up because I didn't mean to do that. If that's true, you know, we think about this, re- this reality. If you're saved, Satan cannot get to your soul. He now just ma- seems to make you ineffective and rob you of your heavenly reward. If that's where you are and you're his, then I just, I mean, I don't really believe he can get you. That's a, it's, you know, a whole other, you know, debate and talk in another place, but I just want to tell you it's, I believe, true. So if you're really a follower of Jesus, Satan has one goal in your life. I want you to waste your life. Spend your days doing something other than glorifying Jesus. Spend your days doing something other than, 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 than honoring Christ. That is his whole tactic to make your life wasted. Paul would say it this way in Colossians. He says, let no one cheat you of your reward. I mean, you don't, that day of standing before Jesus and hearing, well done, don't let anybody steal that from you. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let no one cheat you of reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Don't let anybody steal your reward by making you focus on something else other than Jesus. By by making it about angels or you or men or other stuff. Because when you stand before Jesus, there's no reward for that. There's no reward for that, but the reward is for what you stood for Christ, as he goes on to say that you would be holding fast to the head from whom the whole, all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So you know, the only thing that is going to give us merit, that's going to give us reward, is what Christ does in us. What Christ does in us, when we hold fast to him, when Jesus talked about it in John 15, that if we abide in him, we could bear good fruit. Like, that's everything. And that's what you're wanting. You're wanting a life that says, God, I want you to, to, to work through my life in a way that that's there. 
Paul would give it to us this way in 1 Corinthians. There is no other foundation which anyone can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And without spending a ton of time on it, simply put, only those things that are honoring to Christ are going to last into eternity. Everything else goes away. Only that which is built on Christ is going to be that which is eternity. So he's going to take our lives and, you know, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. That day is going to declare it. That day that you're standing before Jesus, our life will be sifted. Paul uses the picture of a fire here in this, burning away everything that isn't honoring to Christ, burning away everything that we did that isn't, you know, specifically glorifying and honoring to Christ built on that foundation. He says, when that day, when you're standing before Jesus and all of that is sifted and gone, whatever's left, you know, whatever's left in the midst of it, if anyone's work on which he has built on it endures, then you'll receive a reward. Like at that moment, like this test, like what you've done for Jesus you're going to hear, well done, good, faithful servant. Enter into my reward. There is joy on that day. There's, there's a place of doing that. that. From the smallest things, Jesus said, even if you're giving a cup of cold water in, in, in that name and, and honoring, that, that's going to have honor in that day. That which you've done for specifically to honor Christ and, and to hold him forward, that's going to be rewarded. That's incredibly true. But see, that's what's at stake when it comes to the deception, that somehow your life would be moved away from pointing to Christ, that somehow your life would be moved from those things that would, you know, give honor and glory to Jesus, that making him the central deal, to making him the focus, getting you focused on something else, and Jonah's like, I don't want that taken from you. Don't let anybody get your reward. Don't let anybody take that away from you because standing for Christ is what's going to make life worth in that sense, everything in the midst of that. So we're processing this through. I, I hope somewhat helpful, maybe clear, we're thinking it through. So there is this deception. Many deceivers coming out, they reject Jesus. And the point is, you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You know, it's all about Jesus, no Jesus, no God. Now, again, the most important thing is that, is that be true for you that you would know that you're his, that, you would be, that Jesus would be your life. And again, we plead for that. If that's yours in Christ, then secondly, don't let that be taken from you. Don't let your life lose its impact. Don't become one that, you know, doesn't become one that's honoring and living your life for God. And in that sense, lose the reward. With all of that, he adds one other thing. One other piece that plays into this idea of how we deal with deception in this world. So it is a part of our world. It's going to be a part of your life. There's not anybody here in this room that it isn't. You need to make sure you're in the right space with it. You don't want to be, get your life focused on the wrong things. But then he just tells us we're going to have to deal with some that do go that direction. Notice what he says in verses 10 and 11. If... Anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that is the doctrine of Christ, the hope of Christ being our everything. Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Yeah, you're going to have to deal with those who they are going to buy into the lies. They are going to believe the deceptions. They are going to move away from Christ. And you need to deal with that. He just gives us this instruction. He says, so if someone comes to you, and they come to you, and they're not going to hold to the doctrine of Christ. They're not holding on to, to Jesus being everything. Here's what you need to do. He says, I don't want, don't want you to receive them. Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For you greets him, shares in his evil deeds. He says, do not receive them. Do not greet them. Okay, we got to stop for a second and just like, okay, what did he just say? Because I, I mean, this is kind of, this is going to be important and, and to get this wrong, we'll probably go, did, what did he just tell us? He's going to tell us, hey, don't even receive them into your house. What is he communicating? Well, again, there's kind of a metaphor, there's kind of a, a message that's happening in Second John and I would hold to you that, again, Second John, you know, was probably not written to a single individual, but to a church. And so when he talks about not receiving them into their house, he's probably very specifically speaking of that, not welcoming them into the church, not treating them as they're that way. That said, it probably has application even into our homes, singularly into our world. So, so what is he saying? 
the clear issue is this. Don't receive any of those who reject Christ as brothers and sisters. Don't be that one that treats anybody who doesn't hold to Christ as if they're actually saved. Don't do that. Don't don't buy into the lie. Don't build that lie. Don't receive them into the house, maybe speaking of the church, but even into your home. Now, okay, let's just pause and just think, okay, so, so what does that mean? This does not mean that we don't share the gospel with people. Oh, can I be really, really clear? We are to share the gospel. We are to be witnesses. I mean, Jesus did. In fact, he was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Like, he ate with people, and he communicated the gospel. He is not telling us, like, okay, so I just not to have anything to do with unbelievers. Is that what he just said? No. I mean, that's why we're still here. I mean, we are meant to have relationship with with other people. We are meant to to be in the midst of this. So let's talk about this for a church just for a moment. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're here and you're struggling, and you're struggling with this very thing, and you do not believe that Jesus is God, come in the flesh, died on the cross, raised from the grave. You don't believe that he's everything. In fact, you're struggling with that. Does that mean that you are not allowed to be here in this space? No, that is not what it means. We are so glad to have you here. But hear me clearly. You're not a, fo- you're not a believer. You're, you're not a Christian. Just being in this room doesn't make you a Christian. Now, we love that you're here. But understand this. We aren't treating you as a believer. We're not accepting you as a believer just because you're here. You know, we, we, you're, if you wanted to serve here, no, you cannot serve. We would encourage you not to take communion, but you are welcome because we want to tell you about Jesus. But, you're, but if you don't hold to Christ, we will not see you as a believer. Warren Wearsby said it this way, maybe helpful from another perspective. He says, let's make it clear that John was not saying that only born-again people should enter into our houses. Friendship evangelism around the table is a wonderful way to win people to Christ. Christians need to be neighborly and hospitable. He is not telling us that, you know, we only let Christians into our homes as if somehow, you know, if somebody's not a follower of Jesus, they can't sit in our living room or eat at our table. The apostle is admonishing us not to receive or encourage false teachers who represent anti-Christian groups and are now trying to seduce others away from the truth, you can be sure that apostates use every opportunity they can to secure the endorsements of, two, of true Christians. So here's the deal. We just can't be those who embrace them. We can't be those who treat them as that. So let's just try to process this through in a very practical way. So there's a few ways this is going to be very, very real in our lives. For starters, so what if it happens? What if that person does come and knock on your door? And they want you to read the Watchtower magazine with them. What if the person does come and they got the little, you know, tags that say elder on them that they represent? What does that mean? Well, I just want to pause and say, you know, Christians really are somewhat split on this. And so you can land where you want it. Some take this very, very literally, even into that. And they would say, you can't come in my home. <laughs> like, you're, 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 you're purporting a false gospel. And, and so they won't let them even come in and share. It's not a bad thing. If you are going to let them come in and share then I would say very, very clearly, make sure you're clear. Like, you're not saved. Like, I, I re- I, I, I'm, I'm presenting the gospel to you. I would love to talk to you about Jesus, but let's be very, very clear. Like, you and I are not like two brothers just kind of debating scripture together. We are not. We are not. And, and for some of us, you know, some people who will take this literally, they just say, well, you know, you can't come in the house, but I'll talk with you at the door all day long. And I, but I'm going to tell you very, very clearly, you're not a Christian. I, I don't believe you're going to heaven. I don't believe that's a part of life, and I would love to talk to you about how to really get saved. Because you see, the danger is for somebody who's believing a lie that if we as Christians make them feel like they're saved, that's a scary reality. If we treat people who are rejecting Jesus as Christians, then we are aiding and abetting the lie that he's telling us not to be a part of, not to give ourselves to that in any way. So let's go past that. So the person on the door, that's going to be something you're going to have to deal with it, but let's be honest. It's bigger than that. For some of you, you're about a couple weeks away from this. Uh, We're heading to Thanksgiving, right? Some of you got family coming, and uh, some of you would be all together honest, like, well, Pastor Jim, some of my family, they are exactly those. Like, they are in a cult. Um, they, They are in those spaces, and here's the really big deal. Does that mean you can't have Thanksgiving with them? Like, nope, you can't. You're not a Christian, can't have Thanksgiving. No, of course you can have Thanksgiving with them. I mean, but you need to be clear. You represent Christ. 
Because see, here's how it works, and I know how it works. I know it happened to me. I had family members who didn't believe in Jesus or didn't believe in the true Jesus, believed in their own representation of Jesus, and I had these conversations. I remember one just kind of sitting there and go, can't you just accept me? I mean, see, just because I don't believe exactly what you believe, can't you just accept me and, and we can sit down and we can all be, you know, the family of God together? And I was like, no, no, I cannot. You, you reject Jesus, you're not saved. I mean, that's the Bible. I mean, that, you, you're rejecting what he says. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus is saying. And no, I cannot treat you as my brother and my sister in Christ because you're not. That's what you're required to do. That's what he's asking you to do, to kind of be in that place where you don't mess that up, where you don't give people hope when they do not have hope, where you don't make them feel that. He says, if you do that, if you treat them as saved, you're going to share in their evil. You're going to be helping that happen. Again, notice how he says it. For he who greets him, having the idea of greeting, treating someone like, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, you're sharing in his evil deeds. You're, you're, You're participating in that. So think about it this way. What if I did? What if the people came and knocked on my door and I treated them, you know, we sat down and read the Bible together and I didn't really, wasn't really clear with them and then they go and they meet my neighbors and they're like, hey, you know, we'd like to come have a Bible study. You know, Pastor Jim does a Bible study with us. He thinks we're fine. You know, he lets us, you know, you know he treats us. You should give us the same door. That's exactly how Satan works. And what you have to be clear about is I, not, that's not me. God doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, some of you are like, well, what if I, I just kind of pretend so that we can kind of present the gospel? God doesn't need your pretense. You know, it's never how people get saved. I mean, he's calling us to say, you know what, I'm really clear. I, I'm really clear. I, I, I know what I believe, and I know what I'm holding to, and there is no way that I'm going to try to, you know, minimalize this because this is absolutely necessary. Wow. Think about it this way. Paul would give it to us in Romans. He said, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. Avoid them. Like when you, when you figure out people who are going against this, don't, don't participate in that. Avoid that. For those are such, he says, who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly by smooth words and flattering speech. They deceive the hearts of the simple like they're leading people astray. But your obedience, Paul says, has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but... I'd like you to be wise concerning what is good and simple concerning evil. Simply put, I mean, there's a lot of deception here in this world. And at least for me, I don't need to sit down with all these people and let them kind of give me their, their garbage. I don't need to try. It's like I, once I figure out they're not after Jesus, like I don't need to know. I, my, my brain is only so big. and It's not that big. Um, I'm going to spend its days pursuing Jesus. Like I want to know more of him. And, and he says, I want you, you can be ignorant of that, but stay fast towards Christ. So we think about all that's here. We think about this weight of, of what's coming, and I'm just telling you again, hey, this is a part of our world. This is what we're having to deal with, and I just want to present it to you. It is relevant right now. We live in that culture that seems to be moving away from Christ. So this is present for you. It's happening in your families. It's happening in your friends. It's happening in church where you'll meet somebody, and they'll be like, well, yeah, you know, I don't really believe all that stuff, but we're, we're, we're good, right, brothers and sisters in Christ? You need to be able to say, no, 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 we're not. No, we're not. Think about it this way. If I'm right that this is a letter written to a persecuted church, I find this to be fascinating. Why? Well, persecution does an interesting thing. So let's think about the 400,000 believers in North Korea that, you know, if they get found out, they're either going to be arrested, they're going to be thrown in jail, or they're going to be killed. Persecution does a number of really cool things. For some, it absolutely just firms up their faith. It makes them strong. It makes their, their, I mean, some of those believers in North Korea and, and, and probably Afghanistan, they probably you know, make our souls pale in comparison. But there's something else that happens. Sometimes false doctrine thrives. Sometimes, because all of a sudden, you know, the enemy uh, of my enemy is now my friend, and, and, and so now sometimes they're like, well, you know, we're all in this together, you know, and, the, and, and sometimes in those environments, imagine if it happens here in the United States. Imagine if persecution does come, and it might. Sometimes Christians begin to drop um, the, the essentials, like, hey, as long, as long as we're all trying, like, let's just, you and I, we're together, and, and so John writes a fascinatingly powerful message into that and says, don't do it. 
Hold fast to Christ. Don't let go of Christ. Don't give any bearing or weight to anybody that goes any other direction. So let me give you one last thing and we'll end there. So in the midst of all this, I found myself thinking there's this passage in the book of John. Jesus has just really spoke some pretty hard and incredible truths. And it tells us in John uh, verse 6, verse 66, which is always a little bit funny, by the way, like 666. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not like mystical or any of those weird things, but I just still think it's interesting. So from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So Jesus presents this and here's what happens. There are people who were kind of there and they're moving away and they're beginning to step back. I would tell you, I think we live in those days. If those statistics that I gave you from the uh, survey is right, and if, you know, up to 12% of people, you know, that were two years ago holding fast to that, if more and more moving away from the truth, then you live in those days. You live in days where many people are pulling back from Jesus. Jesus, interestingly enough, he turns and talks to the 12, and he just asks them, do you want to go away? Do you also want to leave me? Do you also want to move away at this moment? Peter answers, and he answers really well. Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, uh, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, I just love Peter's like, um, I mean, he doesn't say, it's kind of interesting. It's not like he's like, well, no, of course we don't want to go away. He's like, well, thought about it. (laughs) It's like, you know, this is kind of hard, but there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else out there. To, to pull away from Christ is to pull away into nothing. God, you, Jesus, you're it. You have the only words of life. And we've come to know this, that you're more. We've come to know that you're the Christ, that you're the son of the living God. That's where I want to call you today. I want to call you into a space and a place where you would be able to say with Peter, like, there is no other space for me. There's nowhere else to go. Like I know with whom I believed and I know where this is and I'm going to hold fast to him. So as we think about closing there, if you haven't already done so, you can close your Bibles, your notebooks. Let's just take a moment and bring this before the Lord. I don't know where it finds you. I don't know where this is. Again, if you're here and you're outside of this and you're in a space that you have not yet believed in Christ, then it's a good day and space for for that to become a place that you would recognize your need for him, your need to believe upon Jesus and, and to step into that. If you're not, again, we call you to Christ. If you are, then there's a place where you just would recognize, God, I don't want to give any merit to this in my life. I don't want to help anybody get caught up into the lies. I want my life to be one that bears fast to the truth. So would you take a moment right now and, and wherever that's, that's met you, would you kind of, kind of go before the Lord and, and bring them before the Lord in prayer? I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to give you just a quiet moment where in this space, you could just you know, lay that before God, lay what is there, praying for that, and then we're going to come back together and close in worship in just a moment. Jesus, we come and acknowledge right now that you really are the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets there any other way. That it is really all about you. God, I pray for those here this morning, every one of us, and and for any that are outside of this, that you would bring them to recognize you as the only access, the only way, the Savior, our life, our hope, our help, our everything. 
God, I pray that this morning for those that don't know you. But then I want to also pray for those of us who do, and we recognize the deception is running broadly. Many are falling prey to it. May we not fall prey to it. May we not in any way aid and help the deception. May we not lose our reward, that we can live lives that honor Christ, and that there would be no sense that how we represent you in this world would give cause for those who really are not followers of Jesus to think that they are. May that not be what we're doing in our families and our friends and our coworkers, uh, that we would be those who firmly hold fast to Christ. And, and that is clear in our, in our words, our presentation, and our lives. God, do that and draw people to Christ. We join Peter and just say, Lord, there's nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go. Jesus, you're it. You're the only one that has eternal life. You're the only one that has words of eternal life. And we are coming to know more and more that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the everything. You're the, the eternal I am. You're the one who is just the only way that we have life. You, we are seated with Christ. We have our hope in Christ, and you are our all. I thank you for that reality, and just pray that you would draw us more to that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God draw